Second Thessalonians chapter two. I'm thankful for God's word. We can get in it one more time, and I'm glad that it's real. Uh, it's it was written for real people like us, and uh, I'm glad we can still use it today. I'm glad it's still relevant, uh, just as relevant as the day uh, it was written. And then some parts become more relevant as we get closer to the. Re- uh, to the rapture, closer to the return of the Lord, closer to the end of days, all those times. I, I'm just glad that uh, God has given us what we need, you know, for each and every day, and I'm thankful for it. But Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. It's not, not too long, but just going to read it here. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter from us as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there be except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know uh, what withholdeth, uh, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doeth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and and them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, um, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work lord we thank you for your word tonight thank you for the time of worship thank you for the songs the testimonies lord i thank you that you're with us tonight you promised you'd be in our midst and lord i pray that you'd help me to preach tonight uh fill me with the unction of the holy spirit open our ears and our hearts let this word just uh come to rest in our hearts let us meditate on it and lord that it would draw us closer to you and answer questions. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. And in Jesus' name we pray and amen. So Sunday night we were looking at it, uh, uh, First Thessalonians, a passage there, and I mentioned there that uh, the church of uh, Thessalonica, uh, when Paul came there on his second missionary journey, I believe it was, 
Uh, he was only able to stay there, the Bible says, three Sabbath days. So three weeks is all Paul was able to be there uh, before the Jews started a riot. Uh, and then Paul had to go off to Athens. So that whole story is told in Acts chapter 17. So if you look at that, that's the birth of the Thessalonian church. So you think about it. They only got the Apostle Paul for three weeks, you know, and you think uh, one of the things uh, that we were looking at in chapter two, verse two of 1 Thessalonians is that Paul was going to send Timothy. You know, he was going to send him for two purposes so that number one, they could be established in their faith and then also to comfort them because they were enduring persecution. And remember, that's kind of what we preached uh, Sunday night. Uh, but you think about that, that church with just a three week visit by Paul and then Timothy goes to see what's going on and he brings back word to Paul and says, hey, they are still there. They're still uh, uh, clinging to the faith. They're still, uh, you know, learning. They're still growing. And that encouraged Paul. That encouraged him and his work and everything else that it wasn't in vain. Uh, so that you think about that really super young church didn't get a whole lot of time to mature before they were kind of out on their own. And I think that's why the book of First Thessalonians has some of the most encouraging things in the New Testament. In fact, I, I can't think of a more encouraging passage than chapter 4, 13 says this, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And you think about, they got a letter that had that in it. What a blessing to think about that. And we, we see that passage and we get excited thinking about uh, the rapture of the church, the Lord taking us home. But then there's a problem because just like with any truth from God's word, just like any bit of encouragement in the faith, the devil wants to corrupt that. He wants to twist it. He wants to confuse. He wants to make it to where instead of it being an encouragement, it's not an encouragement. And, and, uh, uh, and that's the problem that we're seeing in this passage here in 2 Thessalonians uh, uh, chapter 2. Because remember, they got the first letter and now Paul's writing the second letter not too long afterward. But look who he's writing to first. Let's look at it. Verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So here's the thing. The church understood the Lord was coming back. The church understood that they, they would be raptured and that should be a comfort to the believers. But I think what's happened is in a few minutes, we'll talk about this deception and things that had come around in the church I think there had been someone that crept into the church that said, hey, yeah, this rapture is great in 1 Thessalonians 4 at the end of it. That, that sounds wonderful for the church unless it's already happened and you're left behind and you're here and they're all gone. Then it's not very comforting anymore, right? 
And it's things like this. And didn't the devil do things like this? He'll twist something good and then turning it into, into something fearful, into something that, uh, into something confusing and everything else. But look what Paul's writing. He's saying, hey, I beseech you, brethren. So we know he's talking to the church, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together with him. Now, these are two separate things that Paul's going to deal with. See, the rapture only involves the church. And right when we just read the passage in chapter 4 of of 1 Thessalonians, it involves uh, the Christians that are alive and the dead in Christ. So those are the two that are involved. And they're going to come dead in Christ first, come back around, those that are alive and remain, and we're meeting the Lord in the air. What a blessing to think about that. But see what Paul describes it right here? He says, by our gathering together with him, with Jesus. Isn't that what that explains? A gathering together with Jesus in the middle, praise God. But what's the other thing? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, he's about to talk about the day of the Lord or the day of Christ or anything like that. And people have gotten confused. I've heard this. Uh, uh, many times before that people get the rapture and the return of the Lord confused and they try to put things together into one event. It doesn't work. It doesn't work when you put it together. The rapture, Jesus is not touching foot on this earth. That's the easiest way. Is he here or is he in the air? With the rapture, we're meeting him in the air. Not just because the song says so, because the Bible says so. But then when Jesus comes back to this earth, he is touching down. You know where he's touching down? The same place he ascended from. That's what the angel said, the Mount of Olives. He's touching his foot back down. He's going to get rid of all of his enemies. Uh, He's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to rule and reign again. And there we're going to be with him. We're following him uh, here uh, because we're in heaven as well. So they're not the same event. So this is what Paul's trying to show them. Hey, you are worried that the raptures happen. And I think some of you are even worried uh, about the tribulation as well. So he's going to tackle both. But see, verse 2, this is what had happened to the church. That ye be not so soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us as the day of Christ is at hand. He's talking to the church and he's saying, hey, we heard you guys are shaken up. You're troubled. Not, but, but words spoken and even words, our words that we've told you. Isn't the devil the author of confusion? Doesn't he trying to mix up everything to confuse? Uh, and, and here's the thing. We, uh, uh, when the Bible, here's, you've heard me say this before. If you're confused or you're fearful about something in the Bible and it's dealing with your sin, that's a good thing. Right. If you were if you're feeling conviction about not being where the Lord needs you to be, that's a good thing. If you're feeling those same feelings when you're not sitting and you're where the Lord wants you to be, that's confusion. The Lord does not want us to be fearful, shaken, confused, all these things when we are in his will. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to understand every single bit of what God wants you to do. That doesn't mean you're not going to have to operate by faith. But if you are afraid of something good, something true in God's word, that is the devil trying to put fear where fear doesn't belong. In fact, I I never really uh, I never really imagined how far this could go until I talked to certain uh, older saints that were fearful about what's going to happen in heaven. 
And that's the devil doing that. Why would we be afraid of heaven? He wants to do that because he wants to rob us of hope and peace and everything else. But do you see... Uh, uh, someone had been passing around letters. Someone had been teaching doctrine, doctrines to the church in Thessalonica and it confused them about these things. And they could have also taken 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says this, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night and then goes on uh, and then to talk about it. And they were teaching that again, this has already happened. Which you think that's absolutely crazy, and it is. If you really take what uh, Thessalonians has and what Revelation has and what Daniel has about the day of the Lord, and, and you say that it's already happened, I, to me, it doesn't even. It's not even, not even a valid anything. I mean, I don't even know where they get these things. Like, how can you take any parts of this Bible that talk about it and say it's already happened? It's crazy. But that's what they were doing. They were twisting around these scriptures, these passages, and confusing a young church with young Christians. And that's what happened. Look on, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day uh, shall not come except there come a falling away first, than that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So he said in verse 2, you're shaken, you're troubled in mind, you're fearful. Now in verse 3, I'm going to tackle your fears and show you that you shouldn't be shaken up. He's saying, hey, the day of the Lord, uh, he's saying uh, for that day, talking about the day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed. He's saying two things. Number one, he's saying that day has not happened yet, Right? It hasn't happened yet. It's going to come, but it hasn't come. And this talk of the Antichrist, that's what he's mentioning, is the same thing from Revelation 13, verses 13 through 17. Talks about it as well. We're not going to read those. Uh, but the Antichrist, when he comes, when he's revealed, uh, when, which, when it means when he's revealed, it means when the world knows who he is, He's going to be able to call fire down from heaven. He's going to have the power to deceive all that's on the earth. He's going to work miracles. He's going to give life to a statue. And if you don't bow down to the statue and worship it, you're going to die. That's the Revelation 13 that we just been several years ago. But we hit that passage. Uh, but that's the Antichrist. And he's saying, hey, when that day comes, there's going to be a falling away first. And then he's going to be revealed. And here's the thing. That hasn't happened. I get so tired of people saying this guy's the Antichrist and that guy's the Antichrist. If you are guessing, that's not the Antichrist. You will know who it is if you're here. <laughs> you will know who it is. This person, can you imagine? I mean, imagine the ones that are good at magic and good at stage shows and everything else. They have big Vegas acts. They travel around the world and everything else. You know, the Copperfields and everyone, whoever's the ones of today, Houdini and different ones. If you can do even good magic, you'll get crowds everywhere. Now imagine someone who can truly call fire from heaven. They're going to listen to that person. and They're going to have all the cameras on it. And guess what? The technology of today, everyone will be able to watch that instantly as it happens. And listen to him speak and everything else. He will be revealed one day, but it has not happened. 
And here's more of the revealing six. And you know what uh, withholdeth that he might be revealed in this in his time for the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. Only he who letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked, that's capital W, that's another one of his names, be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him who's coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. This is how we know it's talking about the Antichrist and matches Revelation 13, but he hasn't been revealed yet. But here's the thing. There are preparations being made, right? That's what it means for the mystery of iniquity doeth already work. Preparations are being made and you're thinking, wait, Mike, what preparations for this Antichrist? Well, if he's going to do miracles and everything else, I would say some preparations would be we'd have religious people that would try to do miracles to get a crowd. How many of them are there, right? They, they blow on you, they, they push you, they do all kinds of things, and they're slain and all that. They stretch out limbs, they do all this nonsense. But again, it's a bunch of tricks and sideshows and make-believe and everything else. But don't think for a second that's not the devil trying to get people ready for this, right? They'll believe anything. Fire coming from heaven, my goodness, if he says it's a UFO or something like that, they love it, right? If they, uh, I mean, just anything, all the things that are going on. The miracles and they're uh, uh, trying to get people to follow them. And like I said, the technology and everything else has gotten ready and everything to where I don't think there's anything that would prevent revelation from happening today. The Antichrist will become a worldwide dictator. He'll demand worship. No nation will be able to stop him, but they'll fall for his deception. That's what we see. And then after he's revealed, praise God for verse eight, reminding us whom the, uh, and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord, the Lord Jesus shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. It won't even be a fight. Amen. He'll destroy it all. And you think about the book of Revelation. We went through it, but all those judgments, all those bowls, the trumpets, everything, the Antichrist reigning. And you think about that. Before Everything that happens in the book of Revelation before Jesus actually returns is terrifying, isn't it? It's frightening. It's hard to imagine how bad the things are. That's on top of the earthquakes and the natural disasters and the death and the hunger and, and everything else that's going on. But here's the thing I was wondering. What, what would keep us from falling into the same verse 2 that the church of Thessalonica was in? Shaken in mind. Troubled in our spirit. What, what, would, be, what, would, uh, what would prevent us? Because you could get thinking about the tribulation to think, you know what? Uh, I'm going to have to go all through that. Or maybe I'm in it right now or whatever. Uh, confusion's going around. But I heard, uh, I'll never forget this, some of these uh, great men of God that didn't have a massive seminary education have boiled things down so simply. Jimmy was great about this, but Brother Andy said something a couple years ago I've never forgotten. He said, when you look at the New Testament, we means me. And I thought, how simple is that? My goodness, we means me. And I thought, you know what? He's right. If we're in the church, which means we're saved by Jesus Christ, when a apostle who's also saved by Jesus Christ is writing to the group and says, we, including himself, 
It's the church. But you know what the devil's done? By the way, we, they, he, she, they're all pronouns. If you didn't know that, the devil is wrecking the pronouns, isn't he? He's creating new ones, fake ones, making you use the wrong ones and everything else. They for one person and Z, however you say it and everything else. He's wrecking that. But aren't you glad our Bible, the pronouns work and they're real in our Bible uh, that we've got here today. Uh, But verse 11, look at the pronouns. Look at what's happening here. For this cause, God shall send. Does it say us or we? No, them strong delusion that we no they should believe a lie that we all may be damned no they all might be damned who believe not the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness do you see what paul is saying right here these are not we and us and our it's them they and they all remember at the beginning he's talking about brethren which is a code word for the church throughout the new testament and then and later in verse 1, when he talks about the rapture, he says, our gathering up, right? And then he flips in 11 to now he's saying, hey, if you want to talk about the day of the Lord, if you want to talk about the tribulation time, well, really, this is the tribulation time before the Lord comes back, when the Antichrist is in power, that time God will send them strong delusion, right? That they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. When the Antichrist is revealed, when he's doing these miracles and all these lies coupled with the strong delusion that God allows, they'll begin to believe a lie. But here's the thing. It's only non-Christians. Because if there were Christians, he wouldn't say they. And they all. And here's the thing. The other thing I've realized is look at the end of verse 12, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When I was memorizing the book of Jude, I realized the same thing, that when it comes to the last days, end times, all of these things, we see, uh, number one, is we see delusion, deception, lies being believed. But on the other hand, we see as well unrighteousness and perversion and wickedness. They go together. And again, right here, he's saying that, hey, when that time comes, they're going to believe lies, but unwickedness and unrighteousness is going to increase even more. The devil is perverted and he loves to promote sin in this world, and it's only going to get worse. But just in case you thought Paul was mistaken in 11 and 12, look at verse 13. But we, now it's back to the church, are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Again, here's the code word. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Now, how is Paul going to encourage those that are troubled and shaken in mind? He's going to separate the they from the us, right? The them from the we. And he's going to say, hey, uh, while they are enduring tribulation, we will not. We will be giving thanks to Jesus. How are we going to do that? We're going to be there at the throne. That's what uh, Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And who's going to be in the midst of the throne? The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. The church will be praising Jesus Christ. We will be thanking him always. I tell you what, we thank him down here. I, I think we'll be thanking him even more when we see him face to face because he had chosen us to salvation praise God for that 
Look at verse 14. It gets even better. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's going on? When the Antichrist is being revealed, the church that's believed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what? We're going to be doing something entirely different. Look at the end of verse 14. It says to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, well, Mike, what's that mean? What's so big about that? Well, we're going to flip from pronouns to verb tenses. It doesn't say we've obtained the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says to the obtaining, a future event. I've not obtained his glory. I've not seen his glory with my eyes. I've not worshipped him face to face. Amen? None of that's happened. I haven't obtained yet. You haven't obtained yet. But he says when he is talking about uh, uh, what's going on with them, and now he's flipping to what's going on into the church, he's saying, hey, uh, when the man of sin, of perdition, the wicked one, when he is revealed and, and he is uh, causing the delusion and everything else, not only are we going to be giving thanks to the glory of God, but we are going to then finally obtain the glory of God. What is that? Uh, that means we will see him. Amen. We will uh, we will we will worship him in person uh, while the lost of this world's going through the great tribulation. You're thinking, Mike, is that the only passage? Nope. First John three, two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? It doth not yet appear uh, what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Remember, that passage starts with beloved. That's the church. Now are we the sons of God? We can say that, right? We haven't seen Jesus. We haven't been to heaven, but we're sons of God right now through Jesus Christ. What's he say? It doth not yet appear what we shall be. Praise God, it says that. Because I don't want it to look like what I see in the mirror. Amen? I want better than that. But we know that when he shall appear. Now here's where it can get confusing. You're saying, now wait a second, Mike. Does this mean we have to wait all the way to the second coming to see his appearing? The lost do. The church does not. Right? Because what's he say? When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll see that during the rapture. Or when you close your eyes in death and open it in glory. Right? That's when you'll see him who he is. And that's when he'll appear to you and appear to the church. And at that moment, we'll be like him. Our bodies will be not these flesh, bodies of flesh that we fight against, but we'll be like him. Sinless, glorified bodies, no more curse, no more battling the flesh. Right? That's what he's saying. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We can't even see him with the eyes that we have today. And then here's the application, the last three verses of the chapter. Therefore, brethren, so remember, he's saying, hey, you were shaken in mind. You were troubled in your spirit. Uh, you were tore up because you thought maybe the rapture had come and you were left. 
or you thought you would go through the tribulation, but you're not. He's saying, uh, so, uh, but remember this. So what do you do? Because here's the other thing the devil will get you to do. I can't remember where it was, but uh, one of the New Testament passages, it talked about people that they were like, okay, the rapture is coming, so we're just not going to do anything, right? We're just going to sit here until he takes us. No, that's not what we're to do. What's he say? Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Don't give in to the nonsense. Hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. This goes back to his, what Paul was trying to do, even sending Timothy in the first epistle. Uh, first Thessalonians, he was saying this. He's saying, hey, I want to comfort and establish you. But here's how you do it. In every good word and every good work. We can't quit. That's what he's saying. We cannot quit. We cannot quit serving. We just have to stand fast. Don't let any man deceive you. That's what he said. They'll try to deceive you. And in fact, our own minds will sometimes try to deceive ourselves. But what do we have to do? We have to get back to the word of God and remind ourselves what the God says. God's future plans should always, always comfort the church. Right? Because our best days are in the future. So whenever you're looking at the future and you're afraid and everything else, and I'm talking about like heaven, rapture, different things like that. I realize we go through trials on this earth where the future seems scary. But if, you, if, if the devil is trying to get you to fear the future, it's him. It's not God. So let's continue to comfort one another as we serve the Lord by faith. I know some people think that we're going to go through the tribulation or anything else. I, I struggle with that because I'm wondering if they really read what people will go through. There's a lot of death. And in fact, the only ones I see that make it through all of that are the ones that give their life instead of worshiping the devil and his system and his deception. They have to give their life for it. And I know some people will, they'll get all bold and proud and say, well, in that day, and I didn't even read it because it drives me crazy, but the end, the end of chapter 13, the last part is the mark of the beast. And that's what I hear people say, I'm not going to take the mark. And I'm thinking, listen, you won't even come to church regularly. What are you talking about? You're going to die for Jesus and you won't even serve him? I don't believe it. I don't. But here's the thing. You won't even have to worry about the mark because he says you don't worship that statue that he's brought life to. You're dead. But aren't you glad? What's he saying? But we, we, right? Well, everything's going on that's bad in 11 and 12 and described also in Revelation 13. All that stuff that's going on, but we. You know what that tells me? It's we, Versus they. And I'd much rather be with Jesus. Thanking him. Praising him. Being with his glory. Getting a glorified body. And living a new. Uh, even better life than I've ever had. And I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. If it was any different. It would not be a comfort. 
If we had to go through the tribulation, which we know is a million times worse than anything today, we would be scared. But what's he saying? Comfort yourself. Because either either we're going to close our eyes in death and be with Jesus, or he's calling us home and we're going to be with Jesus. That's comforting. Amen. Let's open up the altar.